Amen. Amen. Well, I think all of us at different points in our life have doubts, have things that cause us to question. And now, years ago, um, my little niece was having a birthday party. And for whatever reason, a year before that birthday party, she got really into this magical, fictional character that you might remember when you had children, or maybe when you were a child. And this magical, mythical character was a purple dinosaur named... Barney, all right. Now, what was funny about this was I don't know how my niece got into Barney or what in her life made her love this magical, mythical dinosaur that would appear amongst children and have playtime and songs. Because you see, Barney, I think, had already been canceled for 20 years by the time that this little girl decided to watch it. But she loved Barney, and she loved Barney so much that my family and I decided it wouldn't be great if Barney showed up for her birthday party. So what we did is, is we went on Craigslist and we found a costume at a price we were willing to afford and we bought that costume and uh, my father decided to dress up as Barney for this wonderful birthday event. But you see, these little kids here at, these birthday, at this birthday event, these three-year-olds, they were rather intelligent because you see, the three-year-olds believed that there might be a man underneath that suit. So all the little three-year-olds started to wonder if there was a person underneath that suit. So I do not know how it happened or why it happened, but I'm guessing the oldest in this group of kids told my brother-in-law to go and find out if there was a man underneath the suit. Now, my brother-in-law, he knew there was a man underneath the suit, but he listened to the children And in the middle of the entire celebration with Barney coming out with sparklers and fireworks, my brother-in-law runs and he tackles my father underneath the suit. And all of a sudden, Barney's head pops off of his suit in front of all the little children. And horror is breaking out into this place as the mystery is revealed. The doubts are dealt with. And the suspicions are true that that is not the real Barney. Well, maybe that is a funny story of a time that someone has doubted whether something was true or not. But I'm guessing that for your life, though there might be some humorous moments where you've doubted something and turned out to figure out the answer, there's probably some moments in your life where doubts have led you to wrestling with some deep questions. Questions that I imagine were birthed out of pain, out of moments where you really had to wrestle with why things worked out the way that they did. Well, we are going to take some time today to deal with this problem of doubt, And hopefully, my hope and goal for today is that we can walk out of this church with an appreciation for our doubts and learn for ourselves that there is nothing wrong with our doubting. 
but that we need to be able to deal with our doubts. So in order to do that, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7 today. So I encourage you, invite you to open up to Luke chapter 7 as we look through God's word. Luke chapter 7. Now as you're turning there, the classic definition from doubt, at least from the Merriam-Webster dictionary, is an uncertainty of belief or opinion that oftentimes interferes with decision-making. You see, when you have doubts in your life, what it ends up doing is it stops you in your tracks, doesn't it not? It prevents us from making decisions in our lives because we don't necessarily know what direction to move into. Have you ever found yourself unable to make a decision in life because of doubt? Because of the questions that arise? Well, as we look at Luke chapter 7, we're going to look at a very important figure in Scripture. His name is John the Baptist, and I want to remind you that as we look at his life, that this is a real person who had real problems and was going through real doubts in his life. Because you see, it's so easy for us to open our Bibles and look at the pages that are in front of us and forget the reality of struggles that existed there. People like you and me who dealt with some serious doubts and problems in life. So we're going to look at the life of John the Baptist. But before we start to read this text, I want to just give you a little bit more information on who John the Baptist was. If you didn't know who John the Baptist was, John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus. Now what's interesting about his story is John's mother Elizabeth is in some ways similar to Mary. They're family members, but they they really stand apart in the age spectrum, that is, with Elizabeth being much older and Mary being much younger. But you see, both Mary and Elizabeth's families were visited by angels and were told that they were going to have a child. For Elizabeth, this must have been exciting news because you see, even though Elizabeth was in her old age, she had never had a child before, which if you didn't know within their society would have been a very big gaping hole in her life because as a woman especially within this society it meant so much to have a child and to have a legacy through children and children's children so for Elizabeth to receive this news through her husband must have been so exciting. And once this child was conceived, they named him John. And John was a special child who had a special task to be able to prepare the way for the Lord, for Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah. So John grew up having a very different life than most. He grew up in the wilderness, really set apart from society as he continued to develop and grow. And he stood as a pillar in this time as he called people into repentance. And when he finally met the Lord Jesus himself, he even recognizes and makes one of the biggest proclamations publicly of who Jesus is. 
is. He tells the people, behold, this is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of, this, of the world. John was so special in his ministry that he even got to baptize Jesus. But what's interesting about John and what we oftentimes forget is how his life ended. And his life ended in a very terrible terrible way. You see, if you didn't know this, John, who was very outspoken about his faith, witnessed a great evil happening within his nation. There was a king who was named Herod, and this king Herod decided to take on a wife that was not his. Herod decided to take on his brother's wife to be his own. And in doing that, John spoke out publicly against this person's actions. And because of that, King Herod threw John into prison. Now, what a terrible thing it is when somebody speaks moral truth, when someone speaks what is right into the world and it's taken for granted. And if anything, someone is thrown away in prison. And we still even hear stories of that happening without, within the world today when people speak the truth to power and as a result, their lives are put into terrible positions. Well, this was the situation for John. John is in prison for doing what is right, and he sends his disciples to talk to Jesus. And this is the conversation that happens in, John, or in Luke 7, verses 18. So read along as I read them out loud. You don't have to read them out loud with me, though. John's disciples told him about all these things, speaking on the things that Jesus was doing, the miracles that he was performing and the ministry that he was having. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they asked that question. John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? You see, I think with our modern eyes, it's easy for us to fail to see what is going on here. But what do you think is going on here? You see, I think that John is having some serious doubts about who? About Jesus. Now, just as I had told you a moment ago, John was who to Jesus? John was a family member to Jesus. John was the one that baptized Jesus. John was the one that proclaimed to the world, behold, this is the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. And all of a sudden, he's doing what? He's sending his disciples to ask Jesus, did I get this right? I'm starting to doubt that I got this right. That's what's going on here. John is dealing with some serious doubts in life on whether he fulfilled what God wanted him to do. Now, I find that to be so interesting because I think it's easy for us to just look at the John the Baptist that was doing all these great things and forget that John the Baptist who doubted. 
And I think many of us, whether we admit it or not, deal with a feeling where we, we feel bad if we doubt, right? Where we think of people like maybe Thomas in the Bible, who's known as Doubting Thomas, and who, who said something, who was able to doubt Jesus in his resurrection, and we fear that we are going to look like him. That we too will doubt God. And for that reason, that guilt eats away from us. And whether we realize it or not, we are like John. You see, John was in a real physical prison. He was in a real cell with real walls and a real door held in captivity here. But he was also in a different kind of prison. He was in a physical prison, but in some ways he was in a mental prison too. He was in a prison of doubt. And oftentimes I think that we, even though we might not be in a physical prison, our doubts can make us feel like we are in a mental prison. Can they not? Where it feels like we can't do anything until our doubts are addressed. And oftentimes what we do because we feel guilty for having doubts is that we try to bury them as best as we can and pile things upon them as best as we can and ignore our doubts instead of dealing with them. Because we feel bad for even having them in the first place. And for that reason, we build our own prison of doubts. Prisons that we live in. Or we are doubting God and having questions about his goodness. You see, this whole entire series, the whole entire reason why we are even doing a series like this is because I believe that God wants us to be able to wrestle with our doubts. He wants us to be able to deal with the pains of our lives. Already some of you have started to reach out to me to express the questions that you have within your faith. Questions on why God allows people to suffer. Questions on why does God allow people to go through terrible situations for marriages to be broken, for families to be put under strife. It's okay to ask these questions. You don't have to feel guilty for having these kinds of questions. But may, make no mistake, we need to be able to deal with these questions. You know, one of the things that pains me, and it does happen more regularly than I would like, is I see people within the church that try to pretend as if they have everything in their life put together perfectly. Or they hide their problems and their pains and oftentimes they never reveal it to the church or at least if they do reveal it to the church it's at the greatest point of turmoil almost when it's too hard to even deal with the pain for whatever reason whether wrong or right i think there is a fear within our culture to show weakness 
That's a problem both within the church and outside of the church, where we think that the best kinds of people are always strong, are the kinds of people that can pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. And for whatever reason, we fail to see the biblical imperative to be a church that carries each other's burdens. Church family, please know that this series is meant to, in some ways, speak to that problem and allow us to have an openness with one another to say, it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have questions. But it's not okay to just bury those doubts and questions and not deal with them. We need to deal with those doubts and questions. And I think that if we take the time to do that, will be all the better. You see, even though John was doubting, what did he do to deal with his doubts? He sent his disciples to go speak to who? Jesus himself. And in the same ways, when we deal with our doubts and questions, we need to be able to come together as people and speak to who? Our Lord, with the questions that we have in our lives. But really, this leads me to my first point of three that I'll be making today, and that is that doubts arise when our expectations fail to meet reality. I mean, if you think about it within your life, usually you doubt when your expectations fail to meet reality. So for example, if you believe that God is a good God, and I want to tell you that yes, God is a good God, when something bad happens to you, what causes you to, what causes, uh, what, what comes into question? Well, God's goodness does, right? Because if you believe that God is a good God, but and then you're suffering a rough situation, then it's hard to feel like God is a good God, Right? And as we had in our congregational prayer time, it's hard to be thankful in all circumstances, right? Because some circumstances we go through is just not fun. It's not easy to be in a situation where you feel financially burdened. It's not easy to be in a situation where you're dealing with sickness or pain. It's not easy to get older. There are things in life that feel overwhelming, that cause us to question God's goodness. And I think in some ways, we can build up expectations that being a Christian or being a follower of Jesus means that everything is going to look like a Hallmark movie, right? where it's all just going to work out again and everything's just going to be perfectly threaded in and the story's going to be beautiful. But not every story gets the kind of ending that is, is, is in a Hallmark movie. Oftentimes there are many stories that really are marked by deep tragedy that cause us to question And I think this is exactly what was happening to John. 
For John, this whole situation of being in a prison of doubts made him question whether he was truly fulfilling God's call on his life. Or maybe even worse, that Satan was causing him to, in some ways, believe that he got everything wrong to begin with. And I mean, he had some reasons to feel that way, right? I mean, when you look at the life of John the Baptist, his life was so much more different than Jesus. John lived in a way where he was totally set apart, where he was eating locusts and honey, where he was wearing itchy clothes, where he was really apart from society. And Jesus' ministry is marked more by having a good time at this point, (laughs) meeting with the worst of sinners, drinking wine, turning water into wine. And yet, John was in prison, needing to be rescued, and Jesus hadn't even visited him yet, and he never would. And it's in that situation that I think the enemy whispered in his ear, or at least the enemy whispers within our own ears, in in our own ears, questions of doubts. But listen to what happens next in Luke 7, 21. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. This is so amazing, but yet odd at the same time. Because you see, John goes and he sends his disciples to ask a specific question, and the question was framed in what kind of way? What kind of answer was John expecting? He was expecting what? A yes or a what? A no. And what does Jesus do? Does Jesus give John a yes or no answer? No. He doesn't answer it in that way at all. He tells them the deaf can hear, the blind can see, the the dead are being raised, the lame can walk, and the good news is being proclaimed and preached to the world. That does not seem like an answer at all, but yet that is the answer that God or that Jesus gives him. And I think that we need to realize that that answer was exactly what John needed to hear. Because you see, I think sometimes we expect from God for him to just answer as a yes or a no. And maybe we have good reasons. Maybe our prayers look like something like, Lord, what college do you want me to go to? What job do you want me to take? Can you heal my mother who is sick from cancer? Can you give me wisdom in what I need in life? Can you take this hopeless situation out of my life? And we want God to just say yes or no. But we don't always realize that what we need might not be the question that we're asking or the expectation for the answer that we want. 
You see, what Jesus did for John was he gave him reasons to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. He didn't give him a yes or a no because in answering it as yes would do what? It would continue to raise more doubts in Jesus. You know, it's, it's much like our relationships, right? When we talk to our children or when we talk to our loved ones or our friends, we might ask them a question. Maybe, maybe for whatever reason they broke trust or they did something that you didn't like. What do we want them to do? You want them to give us reasons to trust them again. And some of those reasons are not just met with words, but met by how? By actions. And Jesus is giving John evidence. He's giving him reasons to trust that he got it right. And if you didn't know, what Jesus is actually doing here is he's quoting from Isaiah what the Messiah was going to do, that the Messiah was going to come and do these works into the world, that he was going to heal people, that he was going to proclaim the good news. So in doing this, what is Jesus offering back to the person of John? He's offering back good reasons to trust him. And this is what leads me to my second point, and this is very, very important. So if you have forgotten everything that I've said so far, (laughs) apply this next point to your memory. Point two, doubts have the potential to strengthen your faith. I'll say that again. Doubts have the potential to strengthen your faith. Your faith. You see, oftentimes when I ask people what the opposite of faith is, the most common answer that I get from them is doubt. Doubt is the opposite of faith. But in fact, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is unbelief. You see, just totally not believing something is what the opposite of faith is. And I've spoken on this before in this church, and it bears me repeating it. That if you do not deal with your doubts, there's typically two paths that doubt will lead you through. One is a path of dealing with your doubts, and the other is a path of not dealing with your doubts. And you see, if doubts are left unchecked, what ends up happening is you go down a road that you do not want to take. You see, the fir- if you deal with your doubts, what ends up happening is, is you have strengthened faith. You see, doubts that are dealt with strengthen one's faith. John was dealing with his doubts by sending his messengers, his disciples there. And so should you deal with your doubts. It's why in James 1.5, I had Phil read that earlier on in the service, because God invites us to ask for wisdom. So the first road that we can go down with dealing with our doubts is we can either strengthen our faith, and I can put that on the screen for you there. We can strengthen our faith. But the second road, if we do not deal with our doubts, is unbelief. So if we deal with our doubts, our faith can be strengthened, but if we don't deal with our doubts, then what ends up happening? 
we move on to unbelief. And this is where I want to encourage you that if you have doubts in your life that you've never dealt with, you might be walking down a road of unbelief. And maybe even better said that if you're a mom or a dad or a grandmother or if you have somebody in your life who is a younger person who looks to you as a person of influence, I want to encourage you to be the kind of person to help strengthen other people's faith. You see, I think it is so important, especially since I spent so much of my life dealing with students in student ministries as a student pastor, that parents need to take an active role in listening to their children's doubts. Make no mistake, we're living in a time period, at least within our country, where there are plenty of things to doubt in. There's plenty of things to doubt in. And so many young people, so many young people have been put in a position where they've been given doubt after doubt after doubt. They doubt their own sexuality. They doubt their own beliefs. They doubt their own purpose in life. And because of all of these doubts, they're just led into a place of confusion and not being able to believe in anything. And when you don't believe in anything, you become purposeless, you become hopeless, and you deal with what? Great levels of depression. Because how can you be happy and joyful about anything in this world if really nothing in this world is defined clearly. That's why so many of our young people, I believe, are dealing with greater amounts of anxiety and depression and suicidal ideations and just so confused. We need to have listening ears for the generation that's before us so that we can help them see that we can deal with our doubts. My final point that I'd like to make for you today is don't miss what God is doing. Don't miss what God is doing. You might ask yourself, why would that be one of my points today? Well, I think because if we live in a perpetual place of doubting and questioning God, what ends up happening is is we can never get out of our heads in our doubts and actually see that the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives. You see, for John, he was doubting Jesus because of the expectations that he built up in his own head of what his ministry was going to look like, so much so that he was missing all the evidence that he is the coming Messiah. And in some ways, he needed to be reminded of Jesus' works. Don't doubt so much in your life and never deal with those doubts so much that you fail to see what God is doing. Because I believe that God is doing some amazing things, even despite what we hear in the news. God is moving in the hearts of people, and it is up for us to be able to pay attention to that. So church family, I want to encourage you that as we go through the rest of this series, that you truly use this as an opportunity to wrestle and deal with your doubts, because if you do, what will happen? Your faith will be strengthened.
but as a way of reminder once more that if you do not deal with your doubts, what is the alternative? Unbelief. So I pray and I hope and I trust that you'll take it seriously. That if you have a, qu- a question, and if you don't mind, Lena, putting my email on the screen once more. That if you have a question, that you email me those questions. And we might feature it on a Sunday. We might not be able to get to everything. But we want to take this time to listen to doubts. And if, I, I want to in, make one more invitation. That if you have a friend that you know has dealt with doubts and wrestled with them for years, questions for God that you encourage them to email me too and maybe come on a Sunday so that they might be able to hopefully have their faith strengthened once more. Could we do that? Could we as a church accept that there are things in life that cause us to doubt, but that we're going to go to God and hear and see if he has some answers for us? And don't get me wrong, there are certain things in life that, yes, there are mysteries. Yes, We might not be able to understand fully everything, but that doesn't mean that we can't try. And that doesn't mean that we can't at least encourage one another in our own struggles. Amen? Well, let's pray.